the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the murder mystery podcast, it's The Venetian Affair, episode 12. The morning air cuts through Olivia's coat as she walks from the Palazzo Mandola and down through San Marco to the Hotel Lucanda Vivaldi by the waterfront. She had grabbed a croissant and downed an espresso at the breakfast table at the Cornish's home before she left. The streets around the hotel are quiet as there are few tourists about at this hour and those Venetians who rely on tourism to pay their bills don't need to be setting up before 9am. She swings into the reception of the hotel and approaches the receptionist, who is a man in his sixties. His silver-grey hair is coiffured tall, and he wears a red rose in his buttonhole. She shows him a picture of Nick on her phone, and he tells her that he is always on duty in the mornings, because he likes to take the early shifts and let the younger ones do the lates. He remembers that on the last day he saw him, Nick had arrived back at the hotel before 8am, just as the breakfast room was getting busy. The man then saw Nick again when he came down for his breakfast 20 minutes later. Nick had changed his clothes and the receptionist remembers something unusual. Nick asked if someone could phone one of the rooms in the hotel and ask the guest to come down and meet him. The receptionist told him that he could phone directly from the phone on the desk, but instead Nick insisted and went to sit on one of the chairs in the entrance hall and waited. The other man had appeared after ten minutes. He and Nick had a quiet conversation in the reception area, then walked out to the street together. The receptionist never saw Nick again after that, and he didn't know about his death until Olivia tells him. Just as the man is finishing his story, the guest drops his keys off at reception and starts to walk out of the hotel. That is the man, says the receptionist to Olivia. He met your Mr. Goodman. Olivia looks round, but the man has already gone out through the doors. She calls a hasty, Thank you so much, and hurries out. The guy is fifty yards ahead, wearing a grey pullover, baseball cap and black jeans. He seems familiar with the route and walks at speed, sidestepping the burgeoning tourist groups that are starting to spring up along the waterfront. He pulls away slightly as Olivia gets stuck behind a group of nuns out for their morning stroll, and she has to squeeze past them with copious Scusami, signori, to get them to move. By the time she gets back on track, he has disappeared from the path ahead. She walks on to the next bridge, and she seems to have lost him. Then, just as she is starting to feel despondent, she turns and sees the man, sitting at a small, round table, outside one of the cafes, along this stretch of the waterfront. Olivia turns and slows her walk, then sits on the other side of the cafe's array of tables that are scattered across the paving. She orders espresso and a panini, puts on her sunglasses 
and waits. The man takes his time with his breakfast. After almost half an hour, a boat pulls up at the quayside, and a younger man runs across to him. They exchange words with much gesticulating. Olivia stops the waitress and asks her if she knows the young man, which she does, and he runs a private boat hire to the islands for tourists. Olivia realizes that the two men may be just about to leave. She feels a wave of adrenaline rise through her body. She needs to act quickly, or she'll lose the only lead on Nick Goodman that she has. Her brain stutters momentarily. Then she remembers Joel's boat hire company. She finds the card in her bag and calls them. They jump at the sound of Joel's name and promise a boat in five minutes. Now it's all a matter of timing. The two men continue to talk animatedly at the table only twenty feet away. She can't hear what they're saying, but they look like they're coming to the end of their conversation. The man she has been following stands and counts out euros onto the table. The waitress comes out to talk to them. The younger guy is impatient to get away and starts to walk towards the quayside. The grey pullovered man finishes talking to the waitress. Seconds tick by, but there's no boat for Olivia yet. The men clamber aboard their craft. Still, no boat. The younger man opens up the throttle, and a cascade of water balloons at the rear of the boat. It moves out into the lagoon, turns, and speeds off into the distance. Within fifteen seconds, another water taxi arrives at the dockside. Olivia gets up, leaves cash on the table, and runs across the broad pavement to the boat. When she says her name, the young boat pilot almost stands to attention. Once he understands that she needs to follow the other boat, he moves rapidly back to the controls at the front of the craft. She is only just getting her sea legs when he pushes hard on the power, and arcs the boat round to give chase. The boats trace a path south along the coastline. They reach the bottom of the main island and curve around east. Passing the headland, where the Church of Santa Elena Imperatrice sits overlooking the ocean, Olivia's pilot, who tells her his name is Abramo, is overly excited, as this is the first time he has had to follow a boat. He tells her he loved Miami Vice as a kid, and this is the closest he's ever come to something like that. The lead boat cuts across the water bus routes and heads for Lavignole. Island, then turns up the channel on the eastern side, and across into the vast marina that sits centrally on the island. Abramo stops his craft by the water's edge, just out of sight of the first boat. The air is still. Birds rise on the warm air pockets of the spring day in this stretch of countryside. Abramo signals the men have disembarked and steers his craft into the marina. Olivia jumps ashore, and ties off the front rope to an old stone bollard, once painted white, but now peeling and half covered in grass. She tells Abramo that she's going to follow the passenger, and he says he'll befriend the other pilot to see if he can find out anything more about the man. 
She heads off in the direction that the grey pullovered man went moments ago. At first the path skims the edge of the marina, past yachts and speedboats, oscillating on the tide and pulling at their ropes. At the end of the moorings the path dives off into trees, and the man is out of sight for thirty seconds. She reaches the edge of the woodland and continues along the path that becomes less distinct inside the trees. She still can't see him through the branches as she walks further, so speeds up to a half-jog before she sees him again as he emerges from the trees and back out into the open. Beyond the woodland, Olivia can see four or five low, white, brown-roofed buildings with boats around them that have been pulled out of the water for repair or storage. Her quarry walks through the enclave and into the biggest of the buildings. By the time Olivia reaches the door to the place, she can see it is the Venice Certosa Hotel. She considers her options for less than half a second, then follows him inside. The hotel is cool and modern, with a feeling of being part of the outside space. Olivia walks past the unmanned reception desk and out through wide glass doors that lead to an open area of tables and chairs, but no people. She scans around to see where the man could have gone, and sees a white gazebo at the end of the grass in front of her. Guests are under the awning having breakfast, and white-shirted, black-trousered waiting staff flit across from the kitchen with full or empty plates depending on which direction they're walking. The grey pullovered man is sitting with his back to Olivia on a table with one other man. She needs to get nearer to them and hear something about what they're saying. She walks across and takes a seat at one of the tables under the shelter. She is two tables away from the men, with her back to them. A waitress comes up to her and she orders coffee, cornetto pastries and cherry preserve. The girl doesn't ask for a room number and Olivia doesn't tell her one. The ground around the hotel is dead flat. A slight breeze flows off the water and across the land, but so slight it's barely perceptible. It's enough, though, to carry the words from the men towards Olivia's table, but only intermittently. She hears bursts of conversation. Then the men's chat is driven in the other direction, away from her hearing. Both of the men sound concerned in their tone, as Olivia tunes in to what they're saying. We can't risk anyone else getting in on this, Frank, says one of them. I don't plan to be telling anyone else, but I do want to. The wind spreads the rest of the sentence across the grassland and away from Olivia's ears. Then later she hears, It was only your stupid fault that made this such a mess. We just need the cash and I'll be gone. The girl needs to keep quiet, too. After half an hour, the conversation starts to slow. The grey pullovered man stands, preparing to leave. Olivia swings into action and pretends to be taking a selfie on her phone and manages to take a picture of the men with her front camera over her shoulder. The grey pullovered man says one last thing to his companion, then walks back across the grass. Olivia leaves money on the table, then goes back to the hotel 
and through to the other side of the building. As she does so, she checks her phone and flicks through the pictures she just took. She recognises one of the faces immediately. And her heart skips. The guy sitting at the table is the same man who Jess met on Murano. Olivia retraces her footsteps to her water taxi. Abramo is sitting on the roof. He sits up when he hears her close by and jumps down. You have missed the other boat leaving, signorina, he says. But Olivia says that's fine. I have news from the other pilota, he says with his previous enthusiasm returned. Okay. He brought the same man here last week. To the same marina, with another man on board, tall, brown hair. Olivia shows Abramo a photo of Nick Goodman. This guy? Maybe, says Abramo. They arrived at lunchtime and walked off in the same direction he went today. Did the pilot wait? No. Last week he didn't wait. They said they'd call him. And how long before they returned last week? She asks. That's the odd thing, says Abramo. Only the first man returned. The tall man wasn't with him. Abramo, could you send this picture to the other pilot and see if the tall man is this guy in the picture? She says, and he nods. What time did the man call to get the boat back? Not until 9pm. The pilot was still working? She says with surprise in her voice. He was paid a lot for the pickup. And where did he take the guy? She says. Sant'Angelo. There must be a link between the grey pullovered man being at Sant'Angelo and Nick's body being found there a couple of hours later. She needs to find out who this man is. But she can't think how that is possible. She'll have to focus on the man who just met and who is staying at the hotel here on Lovignole. Abramo fires up the motorboat and glides them out of the marina, then out into the cross currents of the lagoon and back across the headland towards San Marco. Olivia jumps off a couple of stops before Sant'Angelo, as she wants time to walk and think before getting back to the Palazzo Mandola. There are too many open questions for her mind to process it all, and she can feel some pressure, all of her own making, she admits, to move forward and start getting more answers and not more questions. She picks a small pizzeria away from the waterfront and down a narrow side street. The time feels right to be slightly anonymous and improve her objectivity. On the journey back in the boat, her mind returned repeatedly to Jess and whether her old friend is not quite what she seems. If there's a connection between Jess and the man who seems to be involved with the death of Nick, then that is a big problem. Jess has no job. She lives off the money that her father put aside when she was born. She inherited a lump sum at 25. Olivia thinks through what she actually knows about Jess, apart from their time together at Cambridge. Olivia had graduated before Jess, and they'd only known each other for two years before Olivia had followed her career and started professional legal exams 
in Paris. They'd lost touch as Jess had spent the rest of her uni days and her years up to 25 flying around Europe, the Caribbean and the Far East. Olivia had no idea what her friend had been doing in any detail until their dinner together on the night she arrived in Venice. Jess had gone through the men she had known, how she had made too many decisions based on them, all the time hoping that one of them would be the one. None of them had turned out to be, and she had stopped hoping somewhere around her thirtieth birthday. Jess had been vague, maybe even evasive, Olivia now thinks in hindsight about what she actually spends her time doing nowadays. The other siblings all have jobs. Joel is a finance guy, Phil has his wine company, and Emily has built up a business selling stationery on Etsy. But the more Olivia thinks about it, the more it seems odd that Jess doesn't appear to have anything structured in her life. Still just a rich kid without purpose. What this tells Olivia from seeing people like that in court cases is that they are hugely susceptible to fraudsters. There are a whole raft of people who hover around wealthy families, who have no money, but love the lifestyle. They seem to have all the trappings of money, but live by siphoning cash and possessions from the unwitting and moneyed families. Jess may have fallen foul of just such a scheme, and it may have got her mixed up in something that ended with Nick's death. Olivia knows she's too subjective with friends if they're part of a case. In her mind, she's still giving Jess the benefit of the doubt. Olivia pulls out her mobile after finishing her food and tries to search for any information she can find about the man who Jess met on Murano. She tries some searches such as tall man Murano, but of course gets nowhere and gives herself a good talking to, to be more logical. She starts the thought process again. What does she know? She has a picture of him. Anything else? No. Her mind ticks through any possibilities to find his name, but she draws a blank. Then she has a brainwave. She searches the app store for facial recognition apps, finds one with five stars and downloads it. The app is designed to run a photo against an online search for similar faces. She pastes in the photo from Murano, as that is a clearer image than Le Vignole. She stabs the start button. There's an anxious ten seconds as a wheel turns on the screen. Then it fills with dozens of images of men, who look similar. Olivia scrolls through the images. They are close, but none of them is the guy. She scrolls on, page after page. The faces blur into one another. She never thought she'd see so many men who'd look the same. Her brain starts to clog up. She can feel her ability to differentiate dropping as she reaches what must be man number 250. She scrolls again. Then she sees him. He's younger, but it's him. The app has done its work. Olivia clicks on the image. It takes her through to her browser and the source website for the picture. The site opens. The man is there. 
in a picture on the page. Olivia reads to herself, but out loud. There was a celebration at the opening of a new branch of the company yesterday, and our special guest was one of the two sons from the well-known manufacturing family. The picture shows the local manager meeting Mr. Scott Goodman. 